This is the American Cinematographer Podcast. I'm Ian Stasikevich, contributing writer for American Cinematographer Magazine. In this episode, I'm speaking with John Bartley ASC about his work on the ABC television series Lost. Lost is the story of a group of survivors who crash land on a mysterious island that's home to a smoke monster, polar bears, a secret scientific organization, and a giant three-toed statue. The series spans multiple continents, climates, and time zones, and culminates in an epic showdown between the forces of good and evil. Many cinematographers have put their stamp on the show over the course of its six mind-bending seasons, including Michael Bonvalon, Court Fai, Larry Fong, Edward Pei, and Stephen St. John. Bartley put in the most time on set, 61 episodes, that's half the entire series run. So, although there'll be no talk of smoke monsters, polar bears, or three-toed statues, Bartley's got some great memories from working on the set of Lost, and he's taken a break from shooting the new J.J. Abrams series, Undercovers, to talk about his role in bringing the island to life. John, you also shot uh, The X-Files and uh, several episodes of Roswell, which, like Lost, uh, also have a supernatural premise. Do you go looking for these kinds of stories? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't go looking for, uh, for shows that have supernatural things. In fact, I like uh, just about any subject there is, actually. But uh, supernatural seems to find me with the, uh, with the X-Files. And I enjoyed it, you know, I enjoyed that, and it was um, it was something that came along unexpectedly. I got a phone call from a producer one day who said, you know, I've got some people I think you'd like to meet. Uh, I liked what Chris Carter had to say about the series. I thought, well, this this could be fun. I went home and uh, thought about it some more. I thought, yeah, I really want to do this. Uh, it was a, it was it was a good thing to do, but I did think it was only going to be twelve episodes, and then I'd be moving on to something else. What was your initial impression of Lost? You know, one of the things was that. I had sort of said after after um, after X Files and a couple of other short-lived series that I didn't want to do series anymore. I felt my life was going by me a bit, and I I wanted to do some other things, meet other people, and and just go do other things. So I wasn't really looking for a long-term employment. And uh, when I got the phone call from my agent, the first one, she said, "Well, you know, it is uh, it's uh, alternating DP." and uh, Union, and shooting in Hawaii. And I thought about it for a few seconds, and said, sounds great, let's do it. So then it all began, you know, and I thought it was just going to be for four months, and uh, it's funny, in that four months, you know, I think I only shot four episodes. I think it's just the way the scheduling went to finish off the uh, first season. But I did enjoy it, and uh, my first episode, I thought one of my first episodes was probably one of the best things I'd ever done. (laughs) That episode was uh, a self-made man, um, a Sawyer-centric episode. Uh, Did you have any conversations going into uh, the first season uh, with uh, cinematographers uh, Larry Fong or Michael Bonvalon? Michael, I did, but Larry was gone by the time I got here. Michael and I lived in the same building for, I think, a whole season. It might have been a season. And um, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the show and, and discussing what we were doing and that kind of stuff. And, and we also lit, I think, the first hatch. He and I lit the hatch together because we were going to spend a lot of time there. And particularly in the first couple of seasons, I worked for Michael and Michael worked for me. And sometimes, you know, when, I, when you did an episode, you, you know, I can always tell the stuff that I... I've done. I could always remember. You know, I could usually remember all the shots I've done, or I could look at it and go, "Yeah, I remember that one." But um, we do do a lot of stuff for each other. I did a lot of second units at various times, and uh, pick up shots, and I think we all work for each other when we're uh, when we're alternating on these series. You know? 
it makes it far more interesting than just uh, doing the whole season yourself, you know. And so instead of working, you know, four months on the show, you ended up shooting six seasons of Lost. Did the experience of shooting the show change much over those six seasons? In the first couple of seasons, the, sh- uh, the show was a one-camera show, and we had a great operator in Paul Edwards. And Paul, you know, ran a really good show. He's a great operator, worked for Ridley and Tony Scott. And um, Paul liked to do every shot himself. And then uh, at the end of the second season, when Paul left, and we went to the third season, we changed operators. Uh, Tommy Loman came on board. He was he was already the B camera operator. He made was he came as the A camera operator. And then uh, we sort of started doing a lot more two camera setups and a lot more handheld too. So the show changed slightly in the in the third season. In the like third season, we went for for biggest more setup more setups. That was the thing, much more setups and uh, and more shots. You know the uh, editors and producers were looking for more stuff, and we were you know more things to cut around and and uh, yeah. And there was definitely a an an emphasis uh, more on action. Was was that something that you had to ease your way into? I've done a lot of action stuff over the years, and I must admit I like. Uh, good acting and and uh, I mean action stuff breaks it up for you and makes it a little different but I do like dramatic scenes you know where actors are talking to other actors and doing stuff but you you got to have that odd bit of gunfire and cow chase in there to keep everyone interested these days. Well that means that there must have been a lot of thematic changes that were being made. Yes it did I think the uh, I think the produ- writer producers um, thought that after the second season they they knew where they were going and um, they started to pick it up and and uh, really get into uh, a pretty action packed show. So much of Lost takes place outdoors in exterior, which means that you know, you're dealing with you know, two wildly different sources: uh, the sun during the day and at night, you've got uh, the moon and uh, and the firelight and all that. So talk about briefly about some of the challenges that you faced. I always think of myself as, as more of a cameraman that does uh, night, night lighting and, uh, you know, sort of more like, like lighting, you know, daytime exteriors don't really interest me, you know, and, and uh, I've you know, never really gone looking for those, that kind of work. And ironically, Lost is the kind of show that actually requires a lot of this kind of work. How did you end up a- approaching these daytime exteriors? Um, probably... Uh, depending on where it is, probably some uh, uh, big bounces with lights with uh, daylight lights into them. Maybe to keep uh, things consistent. Maybe a, a hard backlight to cover for when the sun went in, or the, we didn't have any light there anymore for some reason. And that would be about all. And and then sometimes, you know, I like to I like to not have any light at all. I I have a theory that seems to work that every time once you start lighting you once you put one light in you got to put two lights in and then you got to have three lights and that starts to take up time and also gets in the way when you've got actors moving around and running and stuff like that so, uh, I figured out about after being there a couple of years that Lost made me a better cameraman for all the daytime stuff you know and and, uh, and uh, it taught I, I learned how to deal with the different uh, parts of shooting during the day when the sun comes out and when it goes away and and all the different situations that you have to deal with. So if you're not using lights, that, that must mean that you're, you know, working primarily with the sun. 
Um, in Hawaii, the daylight doesn't start, mostly on the North Shore, doesn't really start until about 7, 7.15 in the morning. And then the sun sets at 6. And with an um, hour off for lunch, that makes for a very small shooting day, uh, 10 hours roughly. And, you know, we still had to do 12 hours of work. So sometimes towards the end of the day, you know, we'd have to start lighting some shots. And uh, it never looks right, but uh, we'd keep it going as long as I could with a little bit of light and, and then, you know, just to try and make it. You know, it's a real, uh, it's a tough thing that people don't think about. You think, oh, Hawaii, there's got to be tons of daylight and there's tons of sunsets. looks all good. Well, there are, but they, they, they happen over a 10-hour period. And if we didn't have anything to shoot when it got dark, then we were kind of going home early. The night exteriors look fantastic, and they don't look overly uh, stylized. You know, they they, they seem very realistic. And and I know that some cinematographers try to shy away from that whole fantasy, super blue, musco, moonlight look. Do you feel the same way? And we always had moonlight. And the moonlight was usually a blue-green kind of feel. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't like it super blue. Um, that's, I, I, I've done that kind of stuff on other shows and, um, I don't really like that. And we tried to stay away from that and because of, um, sometimes the wind and what we had to put in the, uh, the cranes that held the lights, we had to use different lights and different gels at times. But basically we always put like a, not half, not a, like a half correction on the, um, moonlight just to still wasn't super blue. What kind of light did you end up using for your moonlight? Uh, an 18K HMI. You mentioned before how if you could get away with it, that you wouldn't use lights at all. And so here you are at night using all of these these lights. And did you find it more challenging to shoot at night? Not that much. No, we, we, we would talk, uh, you know, like at the end of the, uh, when we were uh, rehearsing the scene, my first question would be is who's, who's, who's got torches? Who's going to hold these torches up, you know? And, I didn't really like it when people had too many torches because then it started to get these multiple shadows and things happening. So it was good if someone was close by and they held a torch and we made that the main focus, the main lighting source. And, and a lot of times we had little fire lights going. If someone was sitting down near the fire doing stuff, and we would run uh, little lights to supplement that firelight. Because all those fires were gas. And at the beginning, I thought, these fires look like gas. And then it got so used to seeing them, and I thought it was a good look for the show. That it, That's what we did. We used to do little gas fires, you know? Are you talking about the uh, the torches that they were holding? No, the, the torches were always were always um, real, and they had uh, wrapped pieces of cloth and, and dipped uh, a lighter, like lighter fluid on them. So they would actually get a little smaller as the scene progressed. <laughs> as each take progressed, they would get smaller and smaller. That was a little rough sometimes. But uh, no, basically the firelights were always gas. That's a good look after a while. It doesn't look real, but it's a good look. We've talked about moonlight and, and firelight. So what are your other lighting requirements like at night? Maybe some small lights uh, or supplement firelights, but mostly you know, supplemental lights that just lit up the faces. And they were on flicker machines. What kind of film are you using at this point? Uh, mostly high-speed 500 ASA stuff, uh, 5219. And what about during the day? Well, we changed quite a bit. Uh, we used to use some really low-speed uh, 100 ASA, 
And then we switched to, I used a lot of 250 Daylight for a while. And then towards the, the, I think the fifth or sixth season, we just went to the high-speed film stock and, and used that during the day. So we ended up with just one stock, you know, it sort of uh, it made it easier than having the camera truck full of different film stocks, you know. So how did you control that high-speed film stock? Uh, mostly with NDs and, I, and, you know, neutral density filters. And I had a system where I used polarizer and an ND, and it would be either an ND6 or an ND9, depending on how bright the day was. And that used to give me a nice stop of about 5, 6, 8, and maybe 11 of the blazing sun or something like that. But basically, I, was, it, I had a system that worked well for me anyway. Did you try to give the island, the lost island, uh, its own look, or did you want it to be more natural? I think we tried to give it its own look. Um, I think things changed every now and again. We sort of do different things. I, I try to keep it interesting for myself, you know, and I, I try to do a little bit of different things to just to just make things look either. I, you just shoot something and say, let's see how that looks. And when I, if I liked it, then I went back and did more of it, you know. And, uh, so it was sort of a, you got to keep it interesting for yourself. And it, I don't think we had any real rules about how it should look, but in post-production, um, they were very careful about keeping the greens the same and the warmth and the fires and things like that. And how would you describe the look if uh, if you had to categorize it? Oh, just easy. I would say it's um, in the jungle with saturated greens, and um, at night it was saturated reds, a lot of warmth. Um, and in, in the in this in the other places we went like different locations and backstories, uh, we would stay away from green, and uh, try not to have too many uh, jungly kind of things close by. You're saying you want to you want to save the the more the the heightened colors for what's happening on the island and the uh, the more realistic colors for what's uh, happening back in civilization. No, I would I would sort of go on a cool side, a kind of blue side of things. You know, we use the maybe not use quite as heavy an orange filter in the in the cameras, and um, and you know wouldn't saturate the uh, ocean if we were seeing the ocean. I wouldn't use polarizing filters to make it uh, more vivid. You shot on the island of Oahu primarily. Just about everything was shot on Oahu. We we did some pickup shots in L.A. Now it's over. We think about that. Um, I was lucky enough to go to to uh, London and uh, shoot about two or three scenes there for one day. And then, uh, and then that's about it. I think one episode, they went to the big island to shoot, but that wasn't me. I didn't go and do that. For much of the series, uh, you had to make Oahu look like Los Angeles or uh, Nigeria or even the Middle East. Jump around quite a bit, and it was amazing the way we found locations that worked out, and a lot of, a lot of, to a lot of people's credit, and also the island's credit too, that there's such a diversity of looks there and people, and uh, they did very well, really. Uh, explain the process a little bit behind the transformation of these locations. You know, I think it was just finding the locations and um, maybe the way the like for, for different things, the way it was painted, the set was painted. Um, and we, we had this whole series of, of production, well, I shouldn't say a whole series, we had like three or four production designers 
who brought a lot to the table and and figured these things out. And a, a really great set decorating team that that put stuff together. And then the real unsung heroes of the show are the greens department because those locations don't always look that that luscious. You know, they don't really have that much stuff there. And uh, they had like trucks with plants and stuff that they'd bring in. And we go out there on location and we say to this guy, Troy, I said, Troy, we want to green in all this, you know. And he would never say, no, it can't happen. He'd just look and nod his head and say, okay, and we'd get out there and it'd all be done, you know. And we had two guys on set that did greens all the time. And they, they worked really hard. They were uh, always there and always did a great job. When you were in Hawaii, in in the jungle, was there a specific sector of the island that you that you stuck to? You know, we did, we did stay in places we knew. Uh, we had the beach up on the North Shore, which was a great piece of property. There's so many different looks there. I mean, we, the um, you know the beach itself. We always looked, tried to see the water, and then there was we could do running shots through some brush that was there. Um, and it was thin trees and big trees and jungle areas that we could just move to, and it really helped because it really it made the show the schedule was a really tough thing to follow. And if you can't do it, you can't do a day where you've got most of your locations in one spot and you have to start moving around. It, it just you just die. You can't uh, you can't do it all. But that whole police beach area in Haleiwa was a, a wonderful piece of property. We were very lucky to have that. And the weather is pretty cooperative around that area. For some reason, it just seems to, it doesn't get a lot of rain. Um, and we didn't have a lot of tourists and a lot of people following us around. Uh, it's really, uh, really an excellent area. And then there's another area called Heia where we, we shot a lot of jungle stuff, particularly at night, because we could get lights in there. And, and uh, you know, at night you can make just about any piece of jungle look a little different. And uh, just with different lighting and things like that. And then uh, we had some banyan trees in another area of the North Shore, and we shot a lot of stuff in the banyan trees, and both day and night. And that was a great area, too. It was a place called Cavella Bay, right by the Turtle Bay Resort. And that's an amazing area, too. We were very lucky to have these great locations. Some of them were a bit far away from Honolulu, so the travel was a bit rough. But on the whole, you know, an hour's travel these days isn't very much. That's an hour each way. You mentioned before that you added um, an additional camera to the mix starting in season three. Um, did you did you find yourself working with multiple units often? Um, now and again, you know, uh, but not very often. Basically, the, the the schedule works. Is it's it's uh, eight hours of eight days. I mean, it's eight days of main unit and two days of second unit. And second unit basically means a different crew, same amount of equipment probably, and uh, the same actors. It really is, just means it's a, it's a 10 day show. It's a, the, the second unit, just because, and then, you know, the other unit would be starting to shoot, you know, so there'll be eight days of main unit, and then another eight days of main unit with those two double up days in between, you know. Because if you didn't double up, we'd have, would have taken a lot longer. We'd have to do 10 day episodes, and then and then another 10-day episodes, and then, you know, it would, it, the season would last a lot longer. Those double-ups are really important. What happens on the double-up days? The director and I would just move over to another unit, then we'd get up the morning of the nice day and, and go out to a different crew. So while you're working with one unit, who's working with the other unit? 
we had various different DPs come in. Stephen St. John was the last, uh, season six, Eddie Pay, um, Court Fi, and uh, well, Michael Bonvalon was there at times in the, in the second season. I always had um, always, always had another unit going. We always had another DP. How were these units outfitted? Um, what was what was in the camera kit? Oh, um, Steadicam at all times. Um, two small uh, Panavision XL cameras that uh, as we got into the show more, we had them really condensed into very small units that we could work very fast, uh, both swinging lenses and, and then going to long lenses. We're pretty quick. Uh, a really good camera crew, great camera crew that uh, moved fast. We had ATVs that we had uh, a trailer with all the camera equipment in and uh, the cameras mounted on the front of the ATV. So when that uh, unit arrived on set, it, uh, it really showed that the camera department had arrived. You, know? you mentioned before uh, the use of filtration uh, during the day. What filters did you keep close by? Um, just neutral, neutral density filters and um, polarizers. That's about all. Very rarely ever used anything else. Because you were always shooting so quickly, did you tend to favor zoom lenses over prime lenses? Um, sometimes. But we did a lot of handheld work, and you know we had, we had camera operators that could make handheld not look quite like handheld, and uh, so uh, we it, it really made for speedier shooting. Because what we had to do was do like at least three, sometimes four different sizes of close-up, and this means you know doing a take, swinging the lens, going next, and going again, you know. So it was a. It was pretty busy, and then other times when we, we would lay a piece of track, put the cameras on the track, and then put zoom lenses on and go tighter and tighter and tighter until we got really tight, as we used to call it the lost close-up, which is you know, about a mouth and uh, halfway down the forehead. Sometimes you don't really have a plan as far as that goes. We'd get there, see, let's rehearse the scene and see what it's going to be, and and some scenes we knew it was going to work out, and we lay a piece of a dolly track around, and we were very good. You know, the grips had an, another ATV, and on the roof of the ATV, it had like a 24-foot, I think a 24, 30-foot uh, section of dolly track on an I-beam, and they could just lay that anywhere, and and the dolly would come in on these little uh, carts, motorized carts, and the dolly never hit the never hit the sand. Went straight on the track, and camera go on it and away we go uh, towards the end of season three there seems to be a shift towards um more more off island locations did you find yourself going uh, ever going to uh more actual locations as opposed to uh faking it um somewhere else in hawaii um, well we didn't we ever come we didn't i think we only came here for a couple of days we only came to la for various reasons sometimes it was like i think twice ever came and shot here two or three times, and it was only because we had actors here that was uh, that was easier to, to come to shoot with the actors than it was to bring the actors back to Oahu. Cause they travel around a fair bit, and they do different things, you know. They're not always sitting around uh, waiting for their call. I, I think it was the last episode of season three, Through the Looking Glass, uh, where we see Jack uh, on the Sixth Street Bridge in 
right outside downtown Los Angeles. That was that was actually shot uh, in in L.A. Um, yeah, the, actually, the, the the stuff with Jack on the bridge uh, that was that was real. That was done, you know, on the bridge itself. And we came back for a couple of days of shooting, um, and we shipped the Bronco that he was driving. We shipped it back from Oahu. Uh, and then we had to ship it back to back to Oahu. We shipped it from Oahu to LA, and then shipped it back again. But that, uh, uh, you know, that was an important sequence, and uh, it was worth coming back for. You know. So still, then, for the most part, you you shot Hawaii for all of these uh, off island off island locations. Yeah, and and some driving stuff we did with Ana Lucia. That was all done on King Street and in Hawaii. And I mean, there's a few things you can sort of notice if you study it enough that there's maybe cars going by that have different license plates on if you freeze-framed on it or something like that. But for the most part, when you're inside that police car, you have no idea. You know, you could be in L.A., you could be anywhere. You know? And in your experience, is uh, this something that you've um, you've uh, done before? Yeah. Well, you know, the X-Files went to different locations, too. You know, it's, uh, they always went to different cities. They got in a different rental car, you know, rented a car and about to wherever the location was. But how they, how easy was that to do in, in a place like Vancouver, which is you know kind of rainy and 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 gray and mm-hmm. that gave a you know that gave a look for the show, which was uh, really helpful. You know that that overcast look, uh, gray and black and stuff. I remember I, my first day of ever first I was one of the first episodes. Well, it would be the first episode after the pilot, where we went out and we were shooting. And we had these two agents standing out there in this field looking at stuff and it started to rain, you know, and I thought, well, we're just going to stop. And, uh, and the props department came up and handed them two black umbrellas and said, uh, let's keep going. Back then it was a little bit different. I mean, you, you didn't have the, the luxury of, of the digital technology that uh, we have today. Yeah, it was different. And, uh, and I think things are a lot better now. It's, it's certainly a lot more interesting as far as you know, post-production and, and cheating and doing stuff, things like that. You know. Did you find yourself doing a, a lot of digital backlot work? Um, it, uh, quite a bit, quite a bit of cleanup stuff. We had the visual effects department would do a lot of cleanup. Um, particularly if we had something in the background, like a ship or something like that, that we couldn't get rid of when we were shooting. We couldn't wait for it to move. Or um, something that was out there, you know, something that we didn't want to see. They would uh, the visual effects would clean it up. Right, or maybe they even use it to add in some buildings or things like that. Ah, uh, they did too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got me there. They had they did a lot of additional stuff. And you know, it's interesting now. The, the I think that process of of adding in backgrounds is is uh, in the last year or so. It's just got so easy to do with visual effects, and uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more of. You're going to see a lot more shows like that with um, you know backgrounds put in by with plates or rear screen projection or green screen or whatever they want to do. You know? Yeah, well, you know now you know you just don't have time to go uh, to go and do to these locations. You know there's a schedule and you have to go get it done and and uh, it's so much easier with the background plates and you just have to be creative about it to find um, ways of, of doing it quickly and inexpensively. Visual effects are so much cheaper than they used to be. You know, so. you know, what company did you work with? Uh, who was your visual effects vendor, and uh, who was the supervisor in charge of all that? Yeah, the visual effects supervisor was Adam Avitable, and the company was Look Effects. 
You know, given the strange, uh, fantastic nature of of the show, uh, was there ever a point where you were called upon to do um, kind of special effects lighting? Oh yeah, quite a few times. You know, we, because we'd be getting to the point where there were things going on on the island, and these bright flashes were happening, and we would start the flashes. So we would start lights getting brighter, and then post production would complete them when they took them really to white. But I sometimes used to start that process, you know, make it something, start ramping up to brightness and then go so far and then let them do the rest. And that was the effect that you used uh, when the uh, when the characters would become unstuck in time. Yes, I probably gave more of it to post-production because we started using um, a different post machine the last couple of seasons, um, a, a machine called the Luster, and the Luster is designed for that kind of stuff. Uh, for those uh, making things brighten down, and and um, so it got a lot easier being able to just give those guys uh, their stuff to do because they could time it out better than we could. Because when you're shooting, you're not sure exactly how it's going to be edited. You have an idea, but the speed, you know, the show has to be delivered at 42.3 minutes. So it, it, things change a little bit, and they once they cut the show, it could probably ends up being about 50 minutes. And then they have to cut it down to 42.3. So they have to do their ramps themselves. It's a lot easier if they can do it rather than if I do something, they're stuck with whatever I do. You know. Did you find yourself leaving uh, any of the regular lighting work to visual effects? Because I know that in addition to you know, what you described, you know, the luster is also capable of, uh, you know, it can do windows and it can you know, use it to cut shapes when uh, you didn't have time to, to put up a, a flag or, or something like that. Yes, you know, I think we tried that quite a bit. I think we found that the time, uh, to work with the luster, the time was a bit hard. It was a lot easier to uh, just put it on, farm it out to visual effects and have them do it. Uh, I sat in with a few things where we had to do repairs, uh, sitting on the luster to do some repairing, and it just took a lot of time. And finally, we'd look at something and say, well, this is a waste of time. Let's just give it to visual effects and have them do it right, you know. what what kinds of things are we talking about here? Oh, uh, corrections. Uh, you know, something like a like in the last episode when we had a, a baby's head that we couldn't see because it wasn't a real baby. We tried to diffuse that baby's head, and that didn't work very well. We spent quite a bit of time trying to make it work, and then uh, I said, "No, no, it's got to go to visual effects because the baby's head on the fake baby didn't look anything like." The real baby's head, so things like that. You know, it's sort of it's just it's just uh, you can spend so much time in the in the room, and then you might as well just give it to visual effects, and they farm it out and do it quicker and better. But for the purposes of uh, camera and lighting, uh, what was left to post production? Not as I, I did. I did every now and again say, okay, well, let's just leave that and let them make it darker or brighter or whatever they have to do with it. And I usually tell them, say, hey, I've given you a tough shot to do here. Or a, you know, a real handheld shot with a green screen in the background. And, and uh, I remember last season, I did a really rough one that was uh, handheld, green screen in the background out of the window, and uh, action in front of it. And, and it was a Friday, you know, and the visual effects supervisor wasn't there. And uh, I waited till Monday, and I phoned him up, and I said, uh, here's what I did on Friday. I didn't want to ruin your weekend. 
and uh, he was quite up with it. He was always good. Where did you have your dailies done? Um, dailies were done at complete, uh, a lot of dailies were done at complete post. And then the last season, two seasons, we moved to Encore Video. And these are both in Los Angeles, right? And uh, yeah, all done in Los Angeles. And then the the dailies would be set out, dubs would be, be set out. But I like, you know, I like talking to the guy who's doing the dailies, the color timer. And um, I don't do notes like a lot of DPs do. Um, but I uh, I like to get on the phone at night and uh, talk to the colorists and see what they're looking at and get if they have a feel for what they're, you know, what they're looking at. And then I will tell them if I had any problems. And it's usually like three days away, so sometimes they wouldn't get anything for like two days. It, it was a, it's a tough posting, being on an island, you know, being working in Hawaii and having your dailies done back uh, in L.A. And the editors, they see it a lot quicker than what I do. You know, it's probably two days after they see it that I got it. Now, I, I know that before you mentioned that you didn't really have any specific rules uh, in mind for how the show should look, but uh, what kind of notes did you give to your colorists? I, I mean, your dailies colorists and your online colorists. I, I, you're, you're so far away, and you know, I can't imagine that you had a, a, a very many opportunities to actually sit in and uh, give direct feedback. Yeah, the online colorist, I usually got the last episode. Because I would come back to L.A. and I would go in when they're doing the last episode. But these guys are used to working on their own, you know, and they um, and they work with a producer who sits in the booth with them and they have their own ideas and they also have uh, an agenda. They usually have, uh, you know, they're trying to do visual effects. And it's, a, it's a very busy post-schedule for TV these days. And, uh, so when you say uh, the final episode, you're talking about when they're ready to finish an episode, right? When they're finishing the finale, the last episode of the season. So there must be a lot of trust going on between yourself and the colorist and the producers um, that uh, everyone is on the same page. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because everyone has a, has a different uh, idea of how things should look and, and sometimes they think that it should be a certain way. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they, they, it's, it's, it's their show, it's producer's show, and it's up to them to... Uh, to finish it off and make it the way they want it. Um, I do my best. I give give them what I think is the right way to do it, and then if they want to change it, that's uh, it's up to them. You know? Now, actually being in in the room with the colorist, did that affect the decisions that you made? You know, it's a matter of this. It's a matter of working with the person doing it, and and we went through quite a few people, uh, quite a few colorists. But basically, we always had the final. Colorist was always the same person. Uh, not for the whole, all the seasons, because it varied, but usually for the one season, it would be the same colorist. And so I had talked to him on the phone, and so we always had a working relationship. So it was actually kind of fun, and it was more interesting to sort of go in there and sit alongside him and talk about things. And uh, I, I found it very interesting, and, and I, I hope they did too. You were nominated for an Emmy for the season four episode, The Constant. Uh, tell us a little bit about shooting that episode. Uh, do you remember much? Yeah, I do, and, and I, I really liked that episode. I thought that episode, you know, was for me it had uh, sort of all round, all round uh, looks to it. And um, you know, one of the problems with with finding an episode that you would like to submit for an Emmy is 
the Emmy criteria of, of uh, six minutes straight through with uh, something that you really like. And it's it's very difficult to do. Uh, it's it's hard to find something. A, it's hard to find something that you really love, and uh, it's hard to find uh, something that's each shot is really good because you do so much stuff. And after a while, you yeah, think, well, we could always do better. This could always be better. And there's something in there that I don't like, either a shadow or things like that. But. Uh, uh, the concert was a really good episode, and I think it was the first episode that I sort of thought, well, yeah, Desmond is turning into a big character in the show. And, uh, and you know, all the stuff we spent, all the, all the um, stuff out in the parade ground, which was shot inside Diamond Head, uh, it, was, um, it was done with, a, uh, you know, with the sun out, and we had to do rain and try and make it look like it was an overcast, rainy day. With the sun blazing down, but I after a while I thought, well, you know, this is the look we're going for. It's uh, sunshine with rain, and uh, it's what it is. And uh, I sort of resigned myself that this was the look, and I actually got to quite like it. So I thought it was a good episode, and that's why I submitted it. Uh, the, again, this is the the kind of episode where Desmond is is jumping around through uh, different time periods and, and going to different places. He's going to Los Angeles. He's going to Ireland. Uh, he's going to England to Oxford University. Uh, and and that Oxford set was fantastic. It actually looked like you were there. Yes, there's there's a really good there's a really beautiful church in the middle of Honolulu that has all this gray stone. You know, because Honolulu is quite an old city, so it has a lot of churches and a lot of old buildings that have this. Look, it's not all creamy. Like a lot of the buildings are creamy, but this particular church is uh, is just grey stone, and uh, it's a really good place to shoot and uh, very uh, convenient. And there were little noise problems, but for the most part, we were very lucky to be able to shoot there, and we and we went there quite a bit. What's your favorite episode of Lost? Um, I have I have a, a a lot of episodes that I really liked. Um, that I thought were good, and I, as we got closer to the end, I think I liked more. I think the last season, uh, we did very well as far as, uh, for me anyway, I had a lot more stuff that I, not more episodes that I liked. And um, whether we just had, a, had it going or we just, I, I felt that the end was coming, so it was interesting to see the way we were wrapping it up. You know, Lost has a reputation for being the kind of show that, uh, hides its plot points uh, and its scripts from the cast and crew. Is that, is that true? Uh, did, they, did they actually do that? Absolutely. I had no idea, I, I, and I really didn't want to know. I, sort of, it, it, I, sort of spent, I spent some time in some meetings and where we did talk about plot uh, changes, but really, for the most part, we, we didn't know. I didn't know where we were going. I think the executive producers had an idea. And but the actors didn't have any idea at all. And so you said plot changes. Does that mean that sometimes your whole production plan would change in the middle of a season? Yeah, a little bit. Well, they, I think they always had an idea of where things were going, you know, as far as the storylines, and um, they. Uh, but they wouldn't tell anybody. They might tell you know a, a director what he was expected to do for that particular episode. Uh, and, and what that, what they they were thinking as writers 
where they wanted it to go. How did that affect your work as a cinematographer, not always knowing where the story was heading? You know, I think the hardest thing regarding not knowing what's ahead is finishing an episode and finishing at a particular location and uh, and then reading not the next episode but the one after that where we would go start off back there again. And I think that was a touch frustrating because if we had known how that was that was going to go, why didn't we shoot the whole scene there before? But I think, you know, the scripts take a little while to come out and uh, with you know, it's like a month away or two, a month, half a month away before we get into the next one. And uh, But it w- would certainly have helped if we had known where we were going and maybe it might have made the scheduling a little bit easier. Because you couldn't really see what was coming, uh, it seems that you were experiencing the show a lot like a viewer would experience it on, a, on an episode-by-episode basis. So how do you feel about the way things ended? Oh, a sixteen. I said it ended up very well. You know, people would say to me, "So, what do you think it's going to be?" And I'd say, "You know, when you watch the finale, you just have to get, you know, get what you want out of it. It's not going to be a, a literal translation. You know, you've got to, you've got to uh, take it, get out of it what you uh, what you want." And I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a good idea. You know, I, I couldn't really think of any other ways of doing it and keeping everybody happy. That was John Bartley ASC talking about the ABC TV series Lost. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging on to www.theasc.com.